Okay, you know, every so often I, I do things like this, but it's because I read something the other day and, and it impressed me, and I want to share with you kind of what we're going to be doing, but I want to share a little story with you first. How many of you are familiar with Dietrich Bonhoeffer? Where were y'all in World War II? <laughs> Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor in Germany. And I'm just going to kind of pull this thing together for you as, as we go along. But he was, a, he, he was one of the leaders that stood up against the Nazis in taking over the German church. And Bonhoeffer was really more outspoken than, than most of them were, even though there were several of them in there. And they rejected what, what is known as the Aryan clauses. And we still have the Aryan nation today. And, and they, they refused that and refused the Nazi ideology. Now, he became the leader of the church and the churches, uh, along with a man by the name of Martin Niemuller. And both of them really made an impact during that time. Bonhoeffer started a, a, a seminary uh, in Bavaria, but uh, the Gestapo, led by Heinrich Himmler, have you ever heard that name? If you've studied anything about the war, hein, Heinrich Himmler uh, led the Gestapo, and he's the one that did a lot of, of uh, vicious things to different people. But he anyway, he shut it down. Bonhoeffer uh, joined the resistance movement and was imprisoned uh, by the Gestapo in April 1943. Okay? Now, from that prison, Bonhoeffer wrote letters from prison, uh, which became a bestseller. They made a book out of it and became a bestseller. And among those letters, he wrote a poem. The poem was to his fiancée. Her name was Maria von Wiedemeyer. Okay? Now, keep that name in mind. Uh, and he entitled it, New Year, 1945. And from this poem, the third stanza says this. Should it be ours to drain the cup of grieving, even to the dregs of pain, at thy command we will not falter, thankfully receiving all that is given by the loving hand. Okay? All right. Three months later, Bonhoeffer was hung in, in prison. Uh, he had planned to be in the United States and but all that went away. Okay, now we're going to move ahead. Eighteen years later, in America, there was a bride-to-be that was grieving the death of her fiancé and found comfort in Bonhoeffer's poem that I just read. Her fiancé died from injuries in a sledding accident. Okay? And this young man was the son of, of, a, uh, and of an author not by the name of J Joseph Bailey, uh, and his wife, Mary Lou. When she mailed Bonhoeffer's poem to them, Joe and Mary Lou found comfort in that poem, New Year 1945, 12 years later. <clears throat> this is 30 years after Bonhoeffer's death. Joe Bailey received a letter from a pastor friend in Massachusetts relating that he had visited a terminally ill woman in a Boston hospital for some period of time and had given her uh, Joe Bailey's book of poems entitled Heaven, 
to help comfort her. The pastor said that the dying woman had stayed awake late the previous night to read it and told him of the comfort and help she had received from it. A few hours later, she died. The woman, the pastor revealed, was Marion von Wiedemeyer Weller, Bonhoeffer's fiance, 30 years earlier. Made a circle. Isn't that something? You know, when, when we think about, and, and if you saw this morning the title of the message uh, about suffering, I wonder sometimes how many of us really think about what real suffering really is. You know, I, I think about when things don't go right. I think about when uh, somebody gets mad at me or I, I think about uh, something else that's going on and, and like, just like last year. You know, it just felt like that all through 2020, you just suffered right along with everybody else. And everybody was suffering the same thing. And all of this suffering, and, and you, you put all that together, and you reach a point where you say, why God? Why all of this? Why this suffering uh, that we're going through, this, this suffering uh, that we put up with? Every one of us here, in some way, somehow, have, has experienced a different type of suffering. Now, I've never experienced anything that Dietrich Bonhoeffer experienced. Being, being in those prisons in, in, uh, in Germany back during that time. And, I, uh, you know, I read a lot of Joel Rosenberg's books, and you may too. Uh, if, you, if you like good fiction thrillers, I suggest uh, Joel Rosenberg to you. He's a, he's a Jew, but he's, he's a Messianic Jew. Uh, he's accepted Christ. He's living over in Israel now. And you get, I get feedback that he writes uh, about all the things that are going on. But he wrote a book about Auschwitz and describe the escape from Auschwitz. And it's, it's a great book to read. But reading about those things that happened, and he studied Auschwitz before he ever wrote this, it, it's an amazing thing. When I think about, uh, gee, nobody likes me, I can just imagine what those people thought when, the, when they were being beaten and tortured and starved to death and shot and thrown into a pit and all these other things. Suffering is different, and every one of us here would have a story about how we have suffered. Most of the time, it's a physical pain. We suffer, and I get that. We've all had those type of hurts, but why? Why is there suffering? Why, why does this suffering come to us? Well, I read that little story, and... This passage of Scripture in, in John chapter 9, uh, really the whole chapter is about this man uh, that Jesus passed by. It says in verse 1, who was blind from birth. Now, we don't know how old he is, but he's old enough. Okay, So he's, he's been blind a long time. His disciples said, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Well, Jesus said... Neither this man sinned nor his parents, but the work of God should be made manifest in him. Then he says, I must work the works of him that sent me while it's day. The night comes when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And then this man who wanted to be healed, Jesus sped on the ground, made clay, put it on his eyes, 
and sent him to wash in the pool of Siloam, and he came away seeing. Now, how many of you would let Jesus put spit on you? We would, wouldn't we? Yeah, if we knew who he was, yeah. How many of you would let somebody else spit on you? Different, isn't it? <laughs> Big difference. Okay, now, you go on to read this, and, and this man, uh, the neighbor said, is this the guy? And he said, well, he's like him, but uh, that's not him. And the man said, Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes. Well, then the Pharisees got in on it and began to challenge him on what he said. And he, he began to ask him, who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus? Uh, is this your son? Uh, he told the parents, is this your son who you say was born blind? His parents said, he's old enough. If you want to know, ask him. Ask him. Okay. And then they ask him, what, what did he do? How did he open your eyes? He said, I've already told you that, uh, and you want to hear it again. And then they began to revile against him. Uh, but in here, he said, you know, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. But I know this. I was blind, but now I can see. Okay. Now, those, that, that whole thing is, is about him because the interesting part of it is right at the very end of it. And this is my picture of it. Because they, they had him in the tabernacle there, and when it came to it, they threw him out. They excommunicated him. But in my mind, as I read that, every time I read that, I think of, of the big guard from the Pharisees, and they said, get him out of here. And they grabbed him by the nap of the neck and the, and the seat of his britches, and he picked him up, and he threw him out the door, and Jesus caught him. And he said, how are you doing? He said, I'm doing fine. And he said, he said I'm, I'm looking for Jesus because I want to follow him. And he said, brother, you found him. Now, that's my picture of it. That's not right, but it sounds good to me. Now, suffering. How many of you suffer? Every one of us, don't we? Well, let's talk about suffering. But let's put some scripture to it. Now, here's another thing that I found. I was looking to find out about this Joseph Bailey because I really wasn't familiar with him. And I came across this little Bible study here. And this is what we're going to do. Now, we may finish it tonight. We may not. But this is what we're going to do. And, I, and I'm going to uh, let you see it because we're just going to go down through here. And we're going to fill in some blanks. So don't look at your Bible because I want to see if you know without looking okay there's three of them there there's three of them there go down that way go down that way yeah, yeah okay one two three four five talk to these folks when I go. Here, I got to go get some more. There's three there. Now I got them. Okay. I'm talking to them as I go. Here we go. You'll need that. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. 
that ought to have it. There you go. You all ready? Got a pencil? Everybody needs a pencil. Okay. Now you notice right at the top of there, there's some interesting things there about Joseph Bailey. They lost three of their children, one at 18, after sur 18 days after surgery, a five-year-old with leukemia, and then that one that I read about a moment ago that died in a sledding accident, plus he was a hemophiliac. You all know what that is. He bleeds freely, okay? And so each time it's, it talks about their, their grief. And then the, the, the one that's writing this, it says, uh, and this is what I want us to, to lock in on first, tears are a universal language. Do you know something's wrong when you see somebody shedding tears? Do you know something's going on when, when tears begin to uh, stream down someone's face and, and you look at them? And there are times when you, when you see that and the tears are rolling that you really don't know what to do. You don't know how to help. You don't know what, what is happening in their life. But tears uh, express something, as, as this writer said. Uh, every one of us speak this language because every one of us have shed those tears. And when suffering comes to our lives, that's basically what happens to us. We find a release in the tears uh, that, that God has given to us. And I encourage people in, in different times and doing different things, whether it's the loss of a loved one or uh, in a sickness or whatever, and uh, I've been with people where they say, well, I just can't quit crying. And I said, God gave you those tears so that you don't blow up. Because if we didn't have that release, we'd explode. Amen. Boom. You ever felt that way? When suffering and trials come your way, we would just boom. But God gave us a release, and, and that's the release that we have. But here, here he mentions the pain of illness. We've all dealt with that in our own lives and, and those that are around us. Disease, we've dealt with those things. War, I never, I never did go to the service. I, I never was involved in it, but I've, I've been, you know, I've, I've been around for several wars that have taken place, and I've, I've seen the results in the lives of people as to what happens. Rejection, anybody ever been rejected to the point of hurting? Okay. Uh, desertion, that's happened to some. Maybe not all of us, but it's happened to some. Financial reversal. And I guarantee you, you get in financial reversal, you can't find drive very good. Once it's in reverse, it starts all going backwards. And that happens. Death. You ever experienced death? With family? With friends? You have one that just kind of stands out in your mind. You know, we, we can talk about families and, and losing families and, and all. And, then, and there are friends that we have. I had, I had a good friend in, in, uh, in Shamrock when I was growing up. And uh, his mom and dad lived here. <clears throat> and in fact, they went to this church uh, back in the early 60s. They moved to Shamrock and, and uh, Carrie and I became real good friends. And then I 
I moved away, but he, he continued, and I'd see him every so often uh, there in Shamrock. And his, our senior year, uh, Kerry uh, was a long, tall kid, and uh, he played uh, football and basketball and ran track, and we ran against it. We just had a lot of fun together. They were practicing as the, as the football year was starting. And he told the coach he didn't feel good. And you remember those old blocking dummies? If you, uh, you know, that's what we used to have. And a lot of times I was the dummy. They didn't have enough. But they had, the blocking dummy was laying on the sideline. And he said, go over there and sit down. And Kerry went over and sat down on that blocking dummy. And after he sat there for just a few seconds and he fell over backwards and he was dead. 17 years old. Dead. And I got a call and they told me about it. You know, I'd, I'd been preaching a couple of years by that time, but I could not understand why Carrie had to die. I could not understand why that, that God, in, in my mind, why would he do something like this? But God didn't do it. Come to find out, Carrie had a bad heart deficiency. And it was working on him, and finally it just went, and that's it. That's it. But I remember the hurt from, from a good friend and how that felt. And then you deal with families and other things, and many of you have been through uh, the very same thing that I just described to you. So we're going we're gonna to get into the Scripture, and we're going to look at some things about suffering. And we're going to try to find out exactly what the scripture teaches us about suffering and and what these things mean to us now let's let's begin here at the first misunderstandings about suffering and there's a lot of things uh from the scripture standpoint that we should know and we should understand but we don't and we carry it out in a way that it's it's a misunderstanding from the scripture first of all just going along with chapter 9 here in the gospel of john when you become a christian your problems are over yes or no no, no, they're not. And when you become a Christian, God never did promise that you won't suffer. And he did, never did promise that you weren't, you weren't going to have trials and troubles and tribulations and all those things that go along with this. He never said that. But some people think that, that once you become a Christian, that all of those things go away. But it's just not true. And then as this guy mentioned here, all you have to do is look at the suffering of Christ and see. Suffering is going to come to every one of us. Physically, spiritually, emotionally, we're going to deal with it. Some of you have dealt with it longer than others have. I've been dealing with it for a long time. Then I have to, to catch my kids when suffering comes their way. You know, when everything's good and, and everything's fine, the kids will call and talk to mama. When they have trouble, they will say, let me talk to dad. Why do I get that part of it? But they, they call, and, and over the years, we've had to come to an understanding that these things are going to happen. And they're going to happen to you, and they're going to happen to me. And so we have to put our, put our mind uh, on the truth of what the Scripture says, and we don't lose our problems just because we come, become a Christian. The second thing. Your trials are a result of personal sin. Yes or no? 
Okay, let me put it this way. Yes, no, or sometimes. Sometimes. Sin will cause trials, but sin does not cause every trial. You see what I mean? But, you know, but most of the time when we do something we shouldn't be doing, and then trials come our way, it's not God's fault. We did it. We try to blame God for it, but God didn't do it. We did it. But yes, sometimes it'll bring it about, but most, all, not all of the time will all of this come about. So we have to understand that. And then the, the last one, it's the top of the next page there. Trials are bad. Yes or no? No, we just think they're bad. They're bad because we're caught up in this thing, and, and then all of a sudden it's, it's not what we think that it should be, and so we think, oh, gee, that's, that's bad. Trials are not always bad because you see in the midst of the trials is God. Okay? All right, now, hope you have a pen or a pencil. We're going to see if we can fill in some blanks here. Why suffering is part of God's plan. All right? Number one, suffering is a certainty. John 16, Jesus said that we would have what? You got to speak up. I don't have my hearing aids in. I didn't hear you. Tribulations. You read 16, Do you remember Jesus talking about the, the Holy Spirit? And he said, in this world, you shall have tribulation but be of good cheer why i have overcome the world okay now the world will bring these things about but i have overcome the world so as part of god's plan tribulation will come our way that's what god tells us second timothy three twelve, paul said that we would as living godly we would suffer what Persecution. Persecution. Some people will kick you out of the house if you try to tell them about Jesus. Some people will ignore you. Some people will turn away from you. Some people will turn their back on you. Some people will walk away. Some people will make fun of you. Some people will laugh at you. You know, every time I think about stuff like that and, and calling that persecution... And then you walk away, and then all of a sudden it dawns on you. Do you know what the Apostle Paul went through? What we deal with a whole lot of times, we say, well, I've suffered that persecution. We hadn't been persecuted at all compared to the things that the disciples went through. And then in 1 Peter 4.12, Peter said, It is not a strange thing to face a fiery trial. A fiery trial. In other words, it, it's just a part of life. Now, that's what that says to me. It's not a strange thing to face a fiery trial. Fiery trial, a trial that, that challenges us, a trial that leads us back into uh, God's realm and, and allows us to be a part of who He is. So suffering is going to be a certainty. When you and I accept Christ, we will have suffering spiritually there will be some physically there'll be some uh, other ways but a lot of that we bring on ourselves now all the adversity that believers face is under God's sovereign control 
and contained within his sovereign plan. Knowing that God is sovereign in all things does not mean that we will have comprehensive understanding, but it does give us hope in the midst of difficult times. Isaiah 55, 9, God says his ways are not, and God's ways and thoughts are higher than ours. God's thoughts, God's way is higher than you and I can ever comprehend. The word of God shall not return to him void. That comes in the next couple of verses there. And that's one of the things that you and I need to claim. If we, we speak to someone about Christ and they walk away from you and you say, oh, gee, I didn't do good or I, I didn't say it right or I didn't do this. Let me tell you something. When you share the word of Christ with someone, it never goes back void. It will accomplish its purpose because that's the word of God and that's what God says. So God's ways, God's thoughts are higher than ours. Okay? And a lot of times we don't, we don't have an, a comprehensive understanding of what's going on. You don't know how many times that people have contacted me or told me what's going on in her life with with sickness or whatever and all I can say to them is I, I don't know I don't understand it I don't understand it someone dies I don't understand it didn't understand about my friend didn't understand it at all I had to grow to get to where I could grasp that and say okay it's in God's hands you see, all of those things remind us that God has a plan and God is sovereign over all of this. But we cannot read his mind and then make things happen. He chooses in any situation with anyone at any time and everything that he does is right. Now, all of us know this verse. In Romans eight twenty eight, God causes all things to work together for good. To whom? them that love God and them that are called according to his purpose. Folks, that is, that is not a fatalist attitude. <laughs> I, I had a guy the other day, I was in Walmart, and I had to be there or I wouldn't have been there. But I was standing in line taking something back, and there was a guy in front of me. And he and this lady behind me had been talking, and he's got a mask on. And I'm just standing there waiting for the line to move, basically. And when they quit talking, he, he turned around, and all of a sudden he turned back around, and this is what he said. And when I knew he wasn't talking anymore, I smiled at him, and I said, Sir, I said, number one, I can't hear very good. Number two, with you wearing that mask, I have no idea what you're saying. None. And so here's what he did. He pulled it down, and here's what he said. Don't take those shots. <laughs> and he pulled his mask back up. Well, you know, that kind of tweaked me a little bit. And I said, why? Why? He pulled it back down and he said, it'll change your DNA. And he pulled his mask back up. And I came real close. 
like this to say it. I think it's already changed yours. God protected me right there because I wanted to say that real bad. And he looked at me and I said, I said, sir, I've taken both of those shots and I made it through it fine and I'm just fine and I'm still who I am and I don't go in for all your conspiracy theories and everything that you're listening to. If you don't want to take the shot, don't take the shot. I've taken the shot, everything's fine. Wear your mask. And he turned around and never mumbled at me again. You see, you see what people do? And a lot of times we, we come up with these fatalist ideas about what God is doing. Heard someone the other day said, those, those shots are of the devil. Could they be of God? Who are we to say? All I know is, is that when people started taking them, things started clearing up. And folks, I really believe that God had a purpose in what he's doing. But it does not mean that we can go jump in the middle of something and not catch this thing. Or we can walk out in front of a semi-truck and say, God's going to protect me. And he says, you want to bet? We don't, we don't challenge God like that. So don't make that fatalistic. God works all things together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. Which means he's at work. But you and I have to work right alongside of him in what we do. Okay? Living by faith is what keeps us going. Okay. What's the benefits of suffering? Suffering, first of all, tests the validity of what we believe and reveals to us the genuineness of our profession of faith. The parable of the sower and the soils. Matthew 13, 1 through 9. Now, before COVID hit us, we were, we were going through the uh, parables. And this parable uh, of the soils, uh, Jesus talks about uh, casting the seed and some fell on stony ground and other ground. And then in 18 through 23, it just, it, Jesus explains it. So what causes the stony soil person to fall away? In Matthew 20 and 21, tribulation is the first one. What's the second one? Persecution. Tribulation. Persecution. They fall away. You throw it on the stony ground. On that stony ground, there's, there's, there's enough dirt there that a root will start. But when the winds blow and the heat comes down, it doesn't have enough root. And so because of the tribulation and the persecution, then it just dries up and blows away. And that's what happens to us. These things don't go deep enough inside of us, which is why this, this writer is talking about that you and I need to live our faith. Trust God. Don't argue with God. Don't hang your head. And don't say, well, God can, but. I still hate that. Either God can or he can't. Either God will or he won't. That's it. It's not if God can or God can, but God can. But it's according to his perfect will. Now, suffering reveals the strength of our faith. Genesis 22, 14, 1 through 14, it, we all know the story about Abraham and Isaac. And it said, according to Genesis 22, Abraham's willingness to offer Isaac revealed that Abraham did what? 
He feared God. Shouldn't our faith be the same way? When God says, trust me, should we not at that point pull ourselves up and say, yes, God, I trust you? You know, uh, I've heard preachers before, and, and I've even made this mistake myself. You know, when you're preaching, you, you say things to try to draw the net and pull people in. And I, I've preached on Abraham and Isaac and Abraham taking him up and getting him all settled and taking that knife and having his hand on him and he's about to plunge it down and he's going to slit his throat and he's going to bleed his son out. And then the, the ram uh, stops him. And then you say something like this. What would you do if that was your child? Well, you see, I said all of that before I had children. And I'm going to tell you something. I'm glad God's never asked me to do that. Aren't you? You lay your child on an altar, put a knife in your hand, and God says, offer him to me. I'm going to tell you, I don't know what I'd do. But I might drop the knife and say, I, I can't do that. But the good thing is, Abraham did. Abraham could. God told Abraham to do that. He didn't ask me, and he hasn't asked you to do that. But God asks us to do things where, do you trust me? Do you really trust me? See, and, and folks, if we're going to live by faith, then we've got to m make sure that we can sit here tonight and we can say, yes, I trust you. And then live that way. Through all of this mess that we've come through. We, should, we never should have taken it for granted, and I, I hope that we didn't. I didn't like it, but I hope I didn't take for granted what it was. But you and I should trust God to, to know that God is going to see us through whatever that might be. And our faith is that God is going to uh, raise us up. So we need to live in the fear of God, which as we have said over and over again, the fear of God is to live in the awe and the respect of God. He is God. He's not a man upstairs. I still, I had a guy say that to me the other day, and I just, I just walked away. He's not the man upstairs. He's not a Santa Claus. He's not some impotent old man that's in a rocking chair. He is God. And that's the way we should approach him. And we need to trust him and we need to believe him. We fear God. In Hebrews eleven seventeen nineteen, 17, 19, it says, Abraham was willing to offer Isaac because he believed God that he was able to do what? Raise him up from the... Yeah. Had there ever been a resurrection when Abraham did that? Nope. Nope. But you remember what he said to his servants down at the bottom of the mountain? He said, the boy and I will go up, we'll offer the sacrifice, and we will be back. That is trusting God. We will be back. And so Abraham could raise the knife. Abraham could do that. We will be back. That is living in our faith, fearing God in awe and respect, because we know that God can Abraham believed God even though he'd never known a resurrection. 
This extraordinary faith in the presence of a severe test shows us that a believer can face difficult trials if he wholeheartedly trusts God. And then note that next statement. Trials are faith-revealing. Do you see why God allows trials to come our way? You see it? They reveal the faith that's in us and makes us look at ourselves and see the faith is there. Now, if you still have your Bible open, I want you to turn to James, the book of James. I love the book of James. Hebrews, James. If you get to Hebrews, keep turning right. If you get to First and Second Peter, turn left. Got it? James chapter 1. Look at verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into different temptations. Knowing this, the trying of your faith works patience. But let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If you lack wisdom, ask of God that gives to men liberally and does not upbraid us, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. Joy. Joy in our temptations. Wow. wonder how James could do that. We're to have joy when the trials come our way, as God said. Now, in 2 Chronicles 32, 31, God tested Hezekiah. Y'all remember Hezekiah? Hezekiah messed up, and he knew he did. He, he was a great king, and, and he lived for God, but he messed up one time. And then in 2 Chronicles 32, 31, he said that he might know all that was in his heart. God tested Hezekiah to know all that was in his heart. Now, as he points out here, God doesn't need to test us to find that stuff out. But he tests us so that we will know what's in our own hearts. When the test comes is when we find out just where we stand in our faith relationship with God. And that's why he allows these things to come to us. And that's what the first chapter of James is about. He lets these things come to us so that he, we can find out where we are. God knows us, and He knows what we need, and He will do that through the testing and the trials. He tests us, this guy says, so that we will know what is in our hearts. In this way, He assists us in taking our uh, spiritual inventory. What's in your heart? All that's in your heart. God blessed Hezekiah. He punished Hezekiah, just like He does me and you. Blessings come, trials come, persecution comes, discipline comes, all comes to us. Suffering reveals the strength of our faith, but suffering also reveals what we really, really love. Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 3 tells us that God will use circumstances in life to prove you, to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. Now, here's the thing that makes that really hit home to us. Now, we read that and we say, uh, God will prove us so that we can know 
whether we love God with our heart and soul. Right? No. I left out a word there. All. All your heart. All your soul. So let's ask ourselves a question. Do we love God with all our heart? All our soul? And it's easy to, to sit here tonight and say, oh, I love God with, all my, with my heart. But do we love Him with all our heart? See, when we love Him with all of our heart, that's, that's when things begin to change for us. Abraham uh, saw within himself that he loved God more than he loved Isaac. He was fixing to kill the boy. Take his life. Because he knew that God would raise him up. Now, we face different trials and, and struggles along the way. And God says, just trust me. And we have a tendency to say, okay, God, I trust you. And then we drift off over here and, and we begin to worry about it. We begin to fret. And we, and we begin to say, I just don't know. And I, I don't know how I'm going to do this. And I, I don't know how. We either trust God or we don't. We either believe Him or we don't. We either love Him or we don't. That's the way it goes, folks. We either do or we don't. There's no middle ground there. There's nothing for us to, to try to uh, make anything special. We either love Him or we don't. Abraham revealed his love. What about our love? And God will bring trials to come, and that's why they are beneficial to us. Suffering teaches us humility and patience and develops a dependence upon God, which is what we all need. 2 Corinthians 12, 7, when Paul uh, was talking about his thorn in the flesh, he said, There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Exalted above measure. Now, Paul knew that he'd already been up into the, to the third heaven. I knew a man, whether in the, in the spirit or out of the spirit, in the third heaven. And so that I wouldn't get so egotistical and I wouldn't get to bragging so much about what happened to me and what I saw and all these things that I did. That's why he had the thorn in the flesh. So that he would realize that everything that happened to him came from the power of Almighty God. Now, are you going to trust me that all of these things that, that you have here, are you going to trust me that those things are going to bless you and, and you're going to be used? But I don't want you building yourself up as some great prophet because you can say, I've been up here and I've seen this. And so there's a thorn in the flesh. Now, we can go on and on and on about what that thorn in the flesh of Paul was, but none of us know what it was. Some people think he had bad eyesight. Some people think that he was, he was small and he was, he was hunchback and that all of the traveling uh, caused him a lot of problems in sitting and, and trying to do his needlework. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that, that can be said about what this was with Paul, but the truth of the matter is Paul had the thorn. So that he would not be exalted higher and think more of himself than he did of God. Okay? Now, 
Mark that right there on page four because we're out of time. We'll pick it up next week and probably finish it next week on page four, okay? All right. I hope you've enjoyed this a little bit tonight. Take it home with you. We'll, go, we'll finish it up uh, next week and keep on going through this so that we can understand what this, this suffering really is about and, and what does the Scripture say about that, okay? I'm glad you were here. Thank you for sharing this time with us, and everybody get home, get in the cellar. Because I ain't going, I'm going to bed. Thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing that. And you've got the sheet now. You'll have it all filled in by next week, so we'll be able to move it along, okay? But think about those things about suffering and what they mean to us and what God uses them for. And I think it'll be a blessing to all of us. Let's pray and let's go home. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, thank you for the trials that come. Lord, that's, that's hard. It's hard for me to say. Hard for anybody to say. But Lord, trials come, Father, so that we might understand that you are God, that you love us, and you're going to take care of us. You're going to work all things together for good, but only because we love you. And we, you've called us and we've responded. So, Lord, I pray that you continue to stir our hearts. And, Lord, may our faith increase, Father, that no matter what comes along, we trust you, we believe you, and we thank you for loving us. Father, I, I thank you now for these uh, dear folks who have gathered here tonight. Pray that you bless their homes, their lives, see us through the week. Uh, Father, I pray that you use us, help us to share Christ with a lost and dying world. And, Father, take care of us tonight. Thank you for the good rain you sent us last night. Lord, we'll take some more of it tonight. We ask you for that and give you praise for it. Thank you, Father, for your grace, mercy, and love. Dismiss us. Watch over us. In Jesus' name, amen. Good night, folks.